What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Pilar McQuirter. I threatened to say it with a very aggressive Australian accent, which would be this, Pilar McQuirter. We have Pilar <laughs> McQuirter, who's a cultural strategy director at the agency called Kashmir in Los Angeles. And today we're going to talk about things that many people don't understand about strategists. Pilar, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here, Mark. I'm happy to have this conversation. I hope it's fun free-flowing and irreverent and I hope you are going to reveal to us things that you've come across being a strategist that have confounded other people about you because that's probably what we're going to talk about but we're going to generalize things to everybody else yes and I would like to caveat you know this is personal experience as a strategist what I've noticed along the way Um, but universal truths that generalized this is all (laughs) strategists no I'm joking I'm joking how did you come into being a strategist You know, I stumbled into strategy in college. I was studying PR, realized it wasn't creative enough for me, joined a bunch of friends who were doing a practicum class in advertising and had so many questions. My teacher just said, you should be the strategist in the room. So from there, I went into the MAKE program, the Multicultural Advertising Internship Program, learned more about advertising and strategy. And yeah, I kind of parlayed my core, uh, my education and strategy through MAPE, the One Club, things like that. Okay. Um, instead of changing my major, I just figured there's a ton of curriculum out there. So mm-hmm. I learned myself and then I got my first strategy gig at Havas. Okay. What do you mean by PR not being creative enough? Well, I felt that a lot of the times PR was called in in case in crisis or it was called in with a very specific ask. And there's so much context that you need in order to guide a brand to actually answer the thing that they're asking for. But PR was like, hey, we just need headlines or, hey, we need this. And the context is really important. And I was more curious about the context than anything else. So your perception of your experience. Your perception of your experience with PR yeah. <laughs> was that uh, PR was more task-oriented versus context and then later task-oriented. Okay, got it. Yeah. It is interesting also that you mentioned that you were one of the people asking questions all the time and that that became a red flag or a leading indicator that you might make a good strategist. Is that something that you've come to appreciate later? Because if you're asking questions and someone's like, you could be a strategist, as someone who's probably always asked questions, that might be a surprising revelation that there's this little career called account planning or strategy that you might be very suited for. Talk to yeah. me about that a bit more. I mean, I like to say the reason I'm a great strategist is because I'm nosy. I've always been nosy ever since I was a little kid. And I think curiosity is important. You strategists, they always have to ask themselves that why like five times over, right? You have to have like a relentlessness with your curiosity and you can't just take a simple answer for a simple answer. You have to want to be that person (laughs) in order to survive in the industry, I think. so. And that's enough to take you so far. So for me, asking questions, that's the first start because you're going to always have to do that no matter how far along you get in this career. It's true. But you probably have done that since you remember yourself, right? Oh, totally. Probably being the question asker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because I doubt anybody's done research specifically about strategists in advertising or account planners in advertising and the correlation between them and the big five personality traits. Because one of them is openness, which is curiosity, novelty seeking, variety seeking. But I, I doubt there have been any big studies where we can say most strategists are like this, but a lot of them like to ask questions 
And it makes me wonder sometimes to what degree can you train a strategist versus is that person just innately like that? Any take yeah. on that question? It's a ridiculous question to throw at you like this. But. I mean, no, I think it's it's a fair question. I always I've always wanted to get better at asking the right question. I think that's the skill you have to develop. Asking a question is asking a question, but asking the right question gets you closer to whatever you're trying to solve, unpack, understand. And so I do think you can train somebody in that. You know, innate curiosity is one thing. You know, you have to be want to be curious. You have to want to be comfortable speaking up and asking the question in the room. But then sharpening the tool is is knowing how to ask the right question. And I still feel like I'm learning that to this day. There are some people who I listen to after talks or in client rooms and they just ask this question. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I needed to know, you know? So that's that's the part of it that needs to be sharpened. And I think that's definitely something you can learn. Okay. Okay. I agree. I agree. Are you ready to talk about the things people don't understand about strategists? Because it's going to be fun and I'm excited. All right, hit us with number one. Okay, so I started this with just what tweets I've sent out in the world that people have retweeted and liked. So there's that context. And the one that you found me through was strategists don't work nine to five. They think 24-7. And this tweet went further than I expected it to. And I think the reason for that is twofold. One, because it's true. I'm constantly thinking, shower thoughts. I'm thinking, you know, in the middle of the night after I've closed my laptop, thoughts come. Somebody said in the in the thread, they, they throw a pillow up against the wall when they wake up to remember the things that they were thinking about in their sleep, mm-hmm. right? So people really related to that. I think the thing that makes this piece interesting is that A, you know, I can't be chained to my desk nine to five and expect to crank out what I need to crank out. It comes free frolicking, which means how are you creating the space to think broadly for yourself? And I think a lot of people were, the 24-7 thing scared people in this, in this culture. We're talking about reshaping the way in which we work, overworking, burnout culture. The expectation isn't that you're supposed to be thinking 24-7 about the assignment or the brief or the task. It's you're supposed to be thinking in general, broadly, and your mind should feel expansive as a strategist. And so 24-7 for me was really about the fact that like, I'm thinking about, yes, the brief, but also everything bigger above and beyond. And that's how when I get back to my desk the next morning, I can kind of start to refine, edit, sharpen what I've been thinking about that whole time. But the, the light side of that is that the entire world and a strategist's own reality is part of their raw material to do strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing because you could be in a situation for the first time and something happens, you're like, oh, that could connect to this brief that I'm working on. Great. The challenge with that is like, does that go on a timesheet? <laughs> you know, let's right. say it's Saturday at 3 p.m. and it was a five-minute thought. Does that go on a timesheet somewhere? And I think the other, the challenge or the dark side with all of that is to what degree you can um, regulate your thoughts and emotions so that you're not consciously anxious, which is going to lead to burnout. You know, you're a few years into your career. Have you developed ways to manage your 24-7 brain? I'll loosely say yes. I think that my awareness to the 24-7 mindset has only come in, I would say, in the last two years, right? Where we've had to just sit with ourselves and our thoughts inside, right? Um, there, were, there are things that I do, right? I take pottery classes every weekend. Um, 
I'm an advocate for breathing exercises constantly. Um, as someone who really deals with anxiety, breathing for a minute, I do a minute of breathing before every, I try to do a minute of breathing before every presentation, maybe two. That helps focus myself, focus my pace of my breath and focus what I'm going to say. The other thing that I think is important is that, you know, meditation is something that I haven't been able to lock or tune into, but I know how beneficial it would be for my mind. And then the last thing is do not disturb. So a lot of the things I'm thinking about are triggered by things I'm reading on my phone, checking in on my notifications, following up on conversations. So my phone is on do not disturb from seven to seven. I try my best to shut everything else out. Wow. Helps me be more present with the people that I'm around. So that's, those are a couple things. I think meditation is my goal though for this year to really get into a meditative practice. I'll feel unstoppable at that point. Definitely, definitely. And, and I think at the heart of this is something that can happen to a lot of us where we become what's called mind identified, where we, we are our thoughts. And I think the challenge with that is sometimes we don't know who we are when we're not thinking. So there's this sort of threat to our identity, who we are. I've, I've done well because of my thinking, but I, I needed to turn it off a little bit. So I start, you know, I don't burn out all the time, but who am I when I'm not thinking? I know people who wrestled with that for decades, maybe for entire lifetimes. Let's do number two thing that many people don't understand about strategists. Strategists don't work alone. They work best with others. And I think this one comes from the experiences that I think most people have at creative agencies where they staff five account people, including an intern, two project managers, maybe two creatives, freelance, two more creatives, and one strategist. One or half? Half a strategist or one? I'm one joking, strategist. Yeah, 50% on this business, right? And then maybe a junior that's 100% on the business. Maybe if you're lucky, you get a junior, right? That's impossible. I know strategists who do great work when they lock themselves in and they work by themselves and they crank it out. That's the last step in the process. I've had phone calls with strategists you know, okay, NDA, confidential brand, you know, it's, you don't need to know about the name, but uh, what would you do if, right? Or how would you go about talking to these people? Or what do you know about this? What do you know about that? Iron sharpens iron. Strategists are always talking to each other. They're better in pairs. We have art directors and copywriters for a reason. I think strategists work best when they are working with one another. It's gravely mm -hmm. underestimated. And as a department, most strategy departments try to prioritize that, but it's really hard and it's really rare to see two strategists at the same level, just like an art director copywriter pair would be working together towards a solution. Yeah. Why do you think that is? We're expensive. <laughs> We're expensive. I mean, quite practically, you know, blame it on the scope. But I don't think that that stops any strategists. I think we're all quick to, at Mellon Low, one of the things that we did really well was fast strategy. They were quick to just bring a bunch of strategists in a room and say, hey, you got 24 hours. Give me your thoughts. Put them on paper. Right. Mm -hmm. Molly Patrasani taught me that. And Anna was really great at that. And I think, you know, that, that just goes to show that strategists, you know, we don't have to overthink it. Give us 24 hours. Your mind is going to wander there. Just let me know what you end up thinking about. Yeah, I think it's way too easy to suggest that there is a stereotype in the strategy and account planning world that involves people who might seem to spend a lot of time by themselves. 
you know, most of the strategists I know, first of all, most of them are a little bit like that. They like to spend time with their own thoughts, but most will also say they need other people to bounce off of. And that doesn't always work in many places for various reasons. Let's do number three. Number three thing that many people don't understand about strategists. This is my personal favorite, and I'm a little bit biased. Black women make the best strategists. And I'll say this uh, openly and passionately and proudly. It's a larger conversation around why diversity is really important in strategy, and it's really powerful in strategy. As a Black woman, I'm at an intersection, my race and my gender, right? And particularly in America, both of those things will keep your head on a swivel, right? Um, as a woman, I'm always looking over my shoulder, what's behind me and what's in front of me. As a Black person, I'm always cognizant of what I'm saying, to whom I'm saying it, and how it's coming across to them. And both of those skills are so powerful because they allow you to really, A, predict other people's thoughts and opinions, predict other people's actions and movements, be so aware of everyone else around you. Um, you do it for your own safety uh, and opportunity, but really when it comes down to the work that you're creating, that's the skill you have to have as a strategist constantly. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And this point works for any intersection in diversity, right? Could be an immigrant who's in the US, right? And understanding their experience, gender plays into it, disability plays into it. But when we have the conversation about diversity of thought, it's really powerful to see strategists come into play and their backgrounds come into play. You mentioned it earlier. We take all of that lived experience with us, right? And it's a powerful skill. It is. So if you're so good at predicting what people are thinking, you know you set yourself up for this question. What am I thinking? That... Diversity is amazing and everybody loves it and we can't go against that in this doing day. <laughs> I'm certainly not going to argue against your point. But I, I think even if I've always been attracted to people who sort of seen different ways of living, you know, and, and I think that has been a criticism, a fair criticism of a lot of maybe the more traditional agencies in major cities around the world where there are a lot of great people in this industry. I believe that. But a lot of them have come from maybe more stable families, more stable upbringings and mm -hmm. with a more predictable trajectory, not to pick on the UK. This always comes up when I'm over there, but great private school into Oxford or Cambridge and then into famous London agency. And you just don't know enough people. You might have a great brain right. and have been very privileged and fortunate, but unless you've entered different rooms and had to work out how to be as a human, it can be hard to be fully empathetic to other people that are not like you. And so that's sort of the general point that I was thinking of, but that's not to take away from your overarching point. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly where it comes from. You kind of have to, your lived experience is valid, right? That's just one lived experience. We are in the business of understanding everyone else's, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's a skill you have to practice. Um, some people have to practice it every day. But other people have to really uh, prioritize infusing that into their life. That's, yeah, I think that's why Black women work. But I also think that that's why a lot of the practices we have around uh, diversities and agencies is a priority in the U.S. because it is an active practice that we have to kind of participate in. Yep, yep. And then if I can add a point onto that, I think yeah. there's this journey a lot of strategists go on where they, they realize that lived experience matters but that the project they're working on might not be about them. And I think you've got to keep those two points separate, right? So draw on your lived experience, 
But you know, I've seen this in some of the New York agencies where a strategist might be working on a product slash brand for a group of people that they look down on and mm-hmm. they kind of talk down about them in the room when they're working on the project. Just get off the project. You know, it's, it's separate, separate things. It's um, true. Number four. Number four, I think it, it relates to exactly what we're talking about. So strategists are often taught to be the consumer in the room, but I've actually found it to be more powerful instead of just representing the consumer to actually represent community. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is important because A, there's, there's two things. One, it gets us out of this headspace of just like getting somebody to buy something, trying to sell this thing, right? Sometimes it's about sales, but there's so many other things we can do with advertising and marketing. So consumer, get that out of the, out of the room. When you think about community, you're starting to ask yourself, who does this person that we're trying to reach, connect with, belong to, feel comfortable around, embrace, feel proud being around? The notion of community also comes from my work with community organizers in the city of Chicago, right? Spending a lot of time seeing how political activism and organizing genuine people, getting people to mobilize around something and vote for something, getting people to mobilize around something uh, and advocate for a cause, seeing how we actually connect as a community in the real world is so helpful. Uh, We often get caught up, I think, in the advertising and marketing space, uh, just brand speak, all of these marketing buzzwords, when really what we're just talking about is getting people to come together and appreciate something. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Well, let me role play a little bit. Like what if I'm a marketer and I've just hired you and I've got pressure to sell a whole bunch of stuff and I want to sell it to quote unquote consumers. I don't use that word very often either. It's it's a weird um, word. It is. And then you come in and you're like, it's not just about consumers. It's about community. And I say, well, why should I care about that? What's your response? As a marketer who has stuff to sell, why should I care about that? Do you want people to know your brand and talk about it? I want them to buy it. How do you want them to know about buying it? If you want people to buy it, shouldn't they know about it first? How will they hear about your brand? Advertising. We're going to spend money on advertising. And do you expect the advertising to be the only way they hear about you? Or would you rather you hear that from their friend? What's more powerful? How do you you measure that? Every piece of research I've ever seen about the number one most influential thing in someone's decision to buy something involves word of mouth. But you can't measure it very well. So, you know, I just want to spend money on the things I can measure and I can kind of measure through brand tracking or through media numbers, the stuff we do through sure. advertising. Data. I think the <laughs> one thing that's really helpful that we can learn from actually is TikTok. The way influencer marketing is approached in the U.S. is transforming greatly. The power of an authentic influencer and their genuine connection to their community cannot be underestimated. So much so to the point that one person decided, uh, I think it was in Sweden, that they were craving feta and they wanted to make something with what they had in their fridge. So they took feta, they put it in a pan, they added oil, tomatoes, and pasta, and they put it in the oven. Feta was sold out in the US for a week, right? Just because one person was craving feta and so many people realized how easy it was to make that pasta that they decided to find a way to do it themselves. To the point that TikTok is now launching a food service business 
to give people the recipes to their door to the point that 90%, I think of uh, millennials and Gen Z add TikTok recipes to their food rotations, right? So I think it's important to understand, and there was no brand involved in that. But what you have to understand is however you want to put your brand out there in the world, that's one perception. But the way in which communities and people attach themselves to it is completely different. You have to know that and understand that and respect that, right? Okay. So feta recipes on TikTok are the new subservient chicken. There we go. To say, to say, I'm seeing who knows that reference because every year, every year since the, the 2000s, yeah, every year since the uh, since the internet was like a thing that a lot of us used, there's been a campaign that's broken through, and then everybody gets asked for one of those, so subservient chicken, and then there was the ice bucket challenge, and yeah. I guess we need a feta recipe on TikTok kind of thing is what's going to be going around right now. Yeah, All I think right. you can um, you can't control community, but what you can do is get close enough to it to understand how community moves and how, how you can move with it. And I yeah. think that's an underestimated point. Okay. Yeah. And I think what you're also suggesting is that being community minded means that you're obviously not just about the transaction. You're possibly more interested in a long-term effects and you're more interested in learning from that group of people over the, over the long term. It's yep. not sort of wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I get it. I get it. I like it. Uh, number five. This is another one. Agency life, man. Um, okay. <laughs> strategists aren't just strategists. They're account people. They project manage. They're creative. It is your job as a strategist to sell the work. It is your job as a strategist to manage how you're going to get the work done. It is your job as a strategist to make sure that the work is creatively compelling as well. This comes from working in a creative agency and knowing that every timeline that's presented in front of me never has brief development baked in. Really? No. At a creative agency? What? No. Creative is God. Oh. Are you kidding me? No. No, sweetie. No. We. It's always the conversation of, you know, PMs will always ask respectfully, like, hey, so we got this client brief yesterday. Um, when do you think you can turn that brief around? You think we can get it on, on Wednesday, two days late? No. I mean, can I sit with the brief for a second? You know, so I, I think it. I learned very early on that, you know, nobody's tapping on my shoulder asking to, hey, let's have a meeting just about the upfront. You know, you have to project manage yourself. You have to understand the assignment. You have to understand how you're going to get it done. And more importantly, you have to work with the clients to make sure that you can sell in your work. And mm. I don't need to convince any other strategist about this, but how many times has your brief made it to the billboard? You know, how many times has a line in your brief uh, made it to the script, right? Yeah. It happens all the time. If you spend your days trying to get into people's heads, but are interested in strategy classes, books, and events that get into your head, visit sweathead.com. You can pick up the Kickstarter-funded book, Strategy Is Your Words, by me. Find out about our monthly membership, online classes, and the company training that we do. Yes, this was an ad, a gentle, gentle ad. Back to the interview. And so in that statement, strategists aren't just strategists. When somebody doesn't realize all the other little tasks that a strategist might have to do, what does a strategist being just a strategist mean? I think a strategist is truly just a strategist when they're interrogating the ask and they almost to a certain extent 
can be the not necessarily just the voice of reason, but just for for argument's sake, the counterpoint, right? They're the person that's kind of picking and poking at the work, at the brief that the client gives, right? To really get to the core of what we need to accomplish. That's one part of it. I also think, you know, I like to imagine strategists just being strategists like, I think about research all the time. I think about all the data we wish we had access to, right? I think about the need to never have to Google something and to have access to every tool imaginable, right? When they can really get into the why behind the work organically and study and be students of the consumer, of the product, of the category, truly that's when a strategist is in their bag. And whether that information goes anywhere, who knows? But having the knowledge in your arsenal is so important. And that's that's when strategists are at their prime. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think what I was trying to get into is because you said strategists aren't just strategists, they're much more. And I think uh, if a strategist is just being a strategist and just being treated like a strategist, it sounds like, to paraphrase you, that they're mostly in their heads, in the intellectualism of the job, and then maybe stopping at just delivering key strategy deliverables like credit brief and upfront, right? As opposed to yeah. what you were saying is being involved with the project management, negotiating the timeline, maybe working out how much things cost, shepherding other people's ideas through, working out what the room for the workshop oh, should absolutely. look like and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, yeah, your point, your point, not my point, your point. I also think your point is actually a lot more valid. And I think that there's something to be said around mm. if a strategist is truly in their pocket, not only do they get the upfront done, they get the brief done and the work looks great, but they've got it to a place where the agency is able to come back and sell in even more, right? The incremental, yeah, it can come from creative sometimes, but a lot of times, yeah. a lot of my experiences, I'm actually curious about that. Can we unpack that? What sure. do you mean when you said that, right? Like, let's have another conversation about that. Let's Hang on, are you role-playing or are you asking me? Can we no, that? no, 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 no. But I mean, it's the questions clients actually have with me. Yeah, yeah but you hear it all the time. That's, yep. where, that's where it comes into play. And that's when a strategist, if they, have, if they have the space to think about that kind of stuff, it really comes uh, and works out to their advantage. I don't know if it's the same everywhere. Like, I, I always have to sort of draw a circle around the UK and yeah. maybe parts of Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, Brazil, et cetera. But like... I think if you're not in the US, companies here can be super transactional, very focused on the org chart, very focused on hierarchy, titles, roles and responsibility. And there can be a lot of roboticism, even in companies that do creative work or say that they do creative work. So you can have someone appear in your Zoom, in your email, at your desk, if you are near a desk and there are other people near the desk just saying, hey, mm -hmm. can you give us a brief this afternoon? And you're like, what for? Or can I have right. three insights by 5 p.m.? There's something very transactional in McDonald's or, or even factory-like about some of the corporate environments in the U.S. that unless you've worked here, it's going to sound quite foreign because believe it or not, maybe some of these, the conversation we're having right now, Pilar, doesn't happen in a few other places around the world. I'm just saying. Child, take me overseas. Buy me a flight <laughs> tomorrow, okay? I, a lot of people joke about it, but like working in the U.S. is hell. Okay. Yeah? It is. Why do, you, it why is do you think that? Oh my God. I mean, we could get into tons of things, unfair labor practices, woo woo woo, employee rights, tons of things, right? But most and foremost, I think, first and foremost, we are not an assembly line anymore. And that is not something that 
we have been able to escape. Everything from uh, early childhood education, particularly for underclass and black and brown people, is geared towards automated blue collar industries, right? Which is the bedrock of our country. And yet, a lot of the ways we work have pushed so far beyond that formula. And so we're not preparing people for anything other than that. And quite frankly, the systems that we have in place and the ways in which we work are not really meeting our needs even today, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think we're, we're seeing that tested right now with the whole work from home thing and the fact that people actually have to go into the office two days a week in some places because they just won't let it go. But when you think specifically about strategy and advertising, you were talking about it earlier, the traditional model, the old guard versus the new. I don't think people really value strategy unless it is action oriented. Like Ambika said that on your podcast a while ago, it's, it's true. You get critiqued too much theory and not enough practice, but theory is so important. Yeah, I hear you. And I think part of this is like the shadow side, the dark side of individualism. You know, if you mm -hmm. can tell people that they're important and have them be more individualistic than collective, then you can split them up and assemble them like they're in a factory. Sorry, Absolutely. I don't even think that's a weird conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. I see it all the it's time. I think it's Forsman and Burden Fours. They have this practice in, in their agency. I think it's called the floor or the open floor where people do their work and then they come share it on a floor. And it doesn't matter how long you've been there, how old you are, how quote unquote senior you are, you debate the work. And I think that could work in some American agencies, but I think it'd be very difficult in, in many, especially the larger, more established ones with lots of titles. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a different world. Anyway, it's a different world, yeah. Let's do number six. Number six thing that people don't understand about strategists. I think we're talking about it now, so I'll just keep it going. Strategists bring oxygen into the process, right? And another point in addition to that, strategy isn't always a solution. Sometimes it's simply a conversation or creating space for a conversation. As much as we question everything, we have to create space for everyone else to do that just the same. Um, because that's how they get sharper. That's how they get stronger. Whether that's the client, whether that's the creative, whether that's the account person, I don't care who names it, anyone in the process, you know, questioning everything is so important and, and it requires us to take space for that. And I think it's important that strategists orchestrate that space, whether that's the brainstorm, whether that's the workshop, whether that's, you know, however we want to do it. I don't care if it's at dinner. <laughs> it's important for us to be there for people to just open up that space. And, and I think we are so solution oriented, so action oriented, so sales oriented, particularly in the U S that we don't necessarily take time to get to those deeper introspective contemplative questions about the work that we're creating and, and the intention of the work. It's always important to do that. I think that's a really good point. There, there can be a big focus on deliverables and outputs to manage your contribution to make your own agency or maybe a client feel that they've bought they've paid for something because it's it's real it's right there whereas you work in this industry any period of any amount of time 30 minute conversation might lead to the best thing you've ever done yeah. but again how do you charge for it and how do you prove it and does it matter as a conversation unless it's also a deliverable or some kind of output right right what's your daily experience where you're working at right now like 
do people appreciate you creating space? Do people oh, appreciate absolutely. the conversations or is it more about trading and deliverables? Uh, it's definitely conversation based. I haven't been at Cashmere long, but the reason I came here is because the strategy department is built on understanding culture, not for just its face value, capital C culture. Everybody says that word all the time, but really trying to understand what about culture do you want to learn? Why do you think you need to know that? What have you heard already? How do you want to study that? Really getting into the questions around, like, you can't just say, oh, I want to learn about culture. I want to, I want to be in culture and not really have a specific point of view on how, right? We won't open the door <laughs> if we don't have that specific answer. And I think being, you know, the culture agency of record for brands is an interesting space to be because it kind of shows that like, hey, you need to actually have an agency who can help you unpack, talk through, think through your brand in this specific way. It's not something you can just say, oh, we want to go viral, right? Oh, we want to make a splash. Like, no, it, it, it's an intentional and active practice. And so it requires an agency um, that's behind that from the top down and everyone in between, but it also requires a really strong strategy department because I think strategists are, are built around frameworks, right? Uh, frameworks that we present to our clients, decks that we end up having to make. And if you don't have a department that's willing to set the tone and the framework around this conversation, of course, it'll feel like nothing and it won't go anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, yep. So it's, it's definitely, it's interesting to see. I'm excited to be here because of it. All right. May you continue to be oxygen. Let's move on to the seventh and final thing that many people don't understand about strategists. The seventh and final thing. We said it, but I think it's important. There's two I could talk about. And I'll, I'll, give, you for, hey, we're, we're I'll give you the choice. I'll give you the choice. There's two. Strategists are eternal students, which I think we touched on mm -hmm. earlier. The other is strategy is like songwriting. Let's do both. Seven and eight. So, strategists are eternal students. Strategists are eternal students. I mean, strategy is one of the only disciplines, truly, that I've seen. It doesn't matter if you're an intern or you're a CSO. The amount of rigor, time, and energy you put into presentations, the deck, the work, you're knee deep. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Right. And that is kind of that's the reason I wanted to be a strategist, because I will always be working. Right. Your job as a strategist is to study uh, the world and the way it's moving and how that will impact all of us. You have to kind of be learning constantly and teaching everyone constantly. And so being a student as a strategist is to say that I don't know. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> I have to research that. I don't know. I will know, but I don't know now, right? Um, and being bold enough to to study uh, the space, study the industry, study the work, study the study the world, and not be afraid in that. Yeah, I totally agree with this one. In in a way where it has really dawned on me in the past few years, because often people will say, "Well, to be a strategist, you need to be curious. You need to find out stuff." But why is somebody like that? And it's probably because they like being a student and they probably like reading if they're into words. They probably like reading and they'll probably be a student in some form while they're on this planet. 
so I, I think it's a really good point to make. Why do you think it's an important point to make, though? Keeps us on our toes. It keeps us sharp. You know, I think the the worst thing you could do is assume, and then the worst thing you could do is not do your due diligence, right? You kind of have to hold yourself accountable to not knowing everything. The moment you start to assume, oh yeah, I've done this before, you're just going to repeat history. Yeah, uh, it's a scary space to be in when you start to say, oh yeah, we've done this before, dust this off, run it. Mm, no, no, yep. no. And then especially in an industry that uh, hires junior talent at the rate that we do from anywhere in the woodworks, you have to stay sharp and you have to stay curious, as curious as you were on day one. Yeah. And I, I think it's a way to inject a bit of, I guess what some researchers would call personal significance into any project, which is like, okay, maybe I don't want to work on this that much, but what's something I could learn? What's something I could try to learn? And I think that can keep you fresh as you go along that strategy journey as well. Totally. All right. Number eight strategy is like songwriting. Talk to us about this one. So my first real boss in strategy, Mike Fair, he told me, you know, in order to be a great strategist, you have to be a great writer. And it's true. A lot of strategy comes down to decorating. As you know, you've authored a book. <laughs> and it has words in it and it has words in the title. So it has words all throughout it. You have to know how to, you got, as my dad says, he's from Clint, Mississippi. He said, you know, you talk good, you write good. So you've got to know how to do both of those things as a strategist. Songwriting in particular is really interesting because when you think about music, you know, lyrics can be at the forefront, Right. Or maybe there's just a bar that you just remember. And that's the thing that sets the tone, right? You know, the lyrics are super important in music. And sometimes they're at the forefront or sometimes they're in the background, but they're always present. You know, so I think it's really important to think about what the impact of, of, of writing and particularly the poetry of songwriting can do when you're thinking about writing decks. It's like one of the best feelings in the world when your deck is like, a story that you're telling that and you and you know it makes sense and you know everybody's nodding and following along that's just as good as us singing the same song right so yeah strategy is like songwriting yeah and what i what i think it also implies is the role of emotion and feeling in the writing as well because yeah. one thing say strategy is all about words which is something that i do say a little bit you know but the thing about songwriting is you have to feel your way to the words and then there's the practice in brevity and visual language. So I, I totally relate to that. Pila, if people want to find you and your reflections about strategy online, where's the best place for them to find you? Twitter, of course. Twitter, always. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter name is A Pilar, A Y Y underscore Pilar, P I L A R. Awesome. This has been fun. I appreciate it. We were going for seven, but we had eight things that a lot of people don't understand about strategists. Best wishes in your strategy career. I like how you think and may you continue to be entertaining on the internet. Pilar McWhorter, thank you for being here on Sweat Air today. Thank you so much. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or leave a kind rating. For more information about our strategy classes, events, and books, visit www.sweathead.com. And yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at sweathead.